Hey, this is Kyle Turner, the lead pastor of Hillsong, Kansas City. Welcome to our podcast. We hope that it inspires you, encourages you, and most importantly, helps you get closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Come on, how good is it to be in church today? Y'all are filled with life. Can we welcome those that are linking from the plaza right now? Those online. How about the men of Lansing Correctional Facility? We love you, believe in you. God's got great things in store for you. Hey, before I jump in to the message, um, I know like this is the live stream broadcast and sometimes I, I just talk to the camera, but I just wanna acknowledge uh, the worship and atmosphere in this room. Uh, that isn't the team, they do an amazing job. That's every single one of us coming together in unison to lift up the name above every name. And there's nothing quite like it. Bruce, I watched how you worship. And uh, we need more Bruce and Leslie Benson's in the house. It is awesome. Come on. All right, Plaza North, say hi to your neighbor, grab your seat. I'm going to continue this little mini-series I'm on. I started it last week. Uh, we're calling it Blind Barriers and Unseen Potential. And I know on, in August, coming back to school, I, I know I'm really speaking. I know we have a few guests in the house. We always do. But I'm speaking to the heart and soul of our church, uh, the faithful, through the shutdown, through the relaunch, through the pandemic, the faithful church family. And I wanted to speak to the heart and soul of our church for a couple of weeks about some potential problems and also opportunity for kingdom momentum. There are some things in our life that we cannot see that can become blind barriers to God's best. And the very same things, when we get them right, we get in alignment with God's spirit, God's heart, God's word, they become places of unseen potential. In other words, that which could have held you back actually moves you forward into your future. We gain momentum when we understand that the word of God, although it is correcting, it's really more about directing. It doesn't just safeguard us from pitfalls. It opens us up to God's promises and the potential for his very best, the best of heaven to become a reality in our life. Last week, I talked about honor, how dishonor, and I'm not, not just talking about leadership. I'm, I'm talking about everyone around us, how dishonor, which is such the climate of this world, actually is a blind barrier from God's best. And how a heart of honor opens opportunity and brings momentum that you cannot see, but you will feel and you'll see the fruit of in your life. This week, we're going to talk about generosity. Generosity. Four people are excited about generosity. But let me say this in advance. I will touch on your money for just a few moments if I get to it. I am not talking about your giving. I'm talking about your living. This message is so much more about how us as a church and you as a follower of Jesus put a priority on generosity to the people that are around us. How do we act and how do we serve and how do we live in this world? Because the church needs to get this right because there is so much potential for us to make a radical difference for all of eternity when we start living in generosity towards all of humanity. Winston Churchill once said, we make a living by what we get, 
but we make a life by what we give. This is not about your giving. This is about your living. And I believe there is a key for us to have a barrier removed and unseen potential realized in all of our lives, especially in our church family. Amen? Amen. We join me in prayer. Come on, Plaza. Let's all pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. It shows us who we are in Christ. It shows us not just what we can't do, but who we can be. And so, God, I thank you that in unison and harmony with your Holy Spirit, your word, your scripture will bring life to us, help to us, healing to us, restoration, redemption to us. Would you go to work in every single heart like only you can? Where they need you, you're going to show up. Your grace is enough in Jesus' mighty name. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 I don't know where that came from. That was a... Little my Oklahoma coming out. Amen. Uh, I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your, your life. Uh, what, ha- what would it look like if every single one of us just moved forward in our generosity towards people? I believe we'd have radical unity. I believe we'd have the fragrance of heaven in this house and in your very own home. I believe we would see salvation in the movement of Jesus cre- have, have momentum unlike anything we've ever seen before. Because this world is so divided, people are at each other's throats, and yet we carry the heart of the Father for humanity, and He is a giver. God in His nature is not a withholder, He is a giver. In the same way, we need to be generous towards each other. Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, give and it'll be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Now, about twice a year, we use that scripture when it comes to our time of offering and giving. And I think it still stands that it's a God principle that works in every area of your life. But in the context of this passage, Jesus is not talking about your generosity towards church. He's talking about your judgment towards people. He's actually speaking about how do you treat the world around you? Do you treat them with generosity? Do you treat them with grace? Do you, you give um, or do you hold account for everything that they do? This is why I like what the message paraphrase says about the very same passage. Don't pick on people. Jump on their failures. Criticize their faults. Unless, of course, you want the same treatment. How many wanted to respond to Jesus? No, sir. We won't have another of that. No, thank you. Don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. How many know Jesus was including Australia in this passage? Be easy on people. You'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life. And you'll find life given back. But not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way generosity begets more Generosity. Give your life away. Proverbs 11, the world of the generous gets larger. It's expansive. It's not held down to where you came from. It's not pinned in by your family of origin. The world of the generous has nothing to do with your income. It has everything to do with your attitude towards God and other people. Verse 25 says, the one who blesses, the stingy world gets smaller and smaller. In other words, you could have a big life one day, but when you start thinking about yourself, the world caves in. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those that help others will be helped. 
when it comes to a lack of generosity towards people, it sets up a blind barrier that prohibits the blessing of the Father, God's blessing in your life. It leads to a small life or a life of self. Oh, but the momentum that comes when we put a priority on generosity towards humanity, towards people. God is looking for some people that get over themselves and onto the mission of being generous towards the world around us. And every single day, multiple times in your day, you have a choice to live generously to live a life of abundance, or you can live selfishly a small life for yourself. As a church, my heart for us is that this blind barrier would be forever removed, and we would begin to feel and sense the unseen potential of generosity in how we treat the world around us. I want our church to live in the position of yes when it comes to generosity. That we make up our mind, particularly when we get a good view of what God has done for us, how he did not withhold, but he blessed. How he did not hold our sins against us, but he forgave. That we begin to live our life with the decision ahead of time that when there's an opportunity for generosity in engaging with people, that we would choose yes. We would live our lives on the other side of a big, bold yes to God. We will love and be generous to the world around us. See, we do not live for what we can get. We live for what we can give. And therefore, we do not measure our day by what we accumulated for ourselves. In this kingdom that we live for and in, we measure our life by how much seed we have sown. It's not about what we've secured in our relationships, our affirmation, or the encouragement for ourselves, or our own finances, or our own status as we climb some sort of ladder. No, we do not live for self. We do not live to gain. We live to give, and we live to plant seeds. Galatians 6, verse 9 says, let us not lose heart in doing the right thing and doing good. For in due time, or in God's time, you will reap the harvest if you don't give up or grow weary. So it tells us right there that when we are living to give, there's an opportunity for you to get weary. But Paul writes and says, hey, church, remember, stay encouraged when you've chosen the status of a generous person because there's more coming for you than you might feel right now. So then we should, says, we should do the right things, notice it says, towards every person whenever we have the opportunity and it says, go ahead and start right here in the church, especially towards people that are already a part of God's family. You know, plants produce oxygen. I know you shouldn't know that in like third grade science. We breathe it in. It gives us life. And then we breathe out more carbon dioxide which is what plants actually need to then have photosynthesis and return oxygen back to us. It is like the circle of life, Simba. It is what we breathe in and then we breathe out. You are not punishing the plants by holding your breath. You're only punishing yourself. In the same way, when you realize everything that we freely receive from God, we're called to freely give to others. We get in this circle that isn't about status and isn't about securing something for yourself. It's about bringing life to the world around you. And what you'll find in return is more life in your own lungs. It's the same when you flip the switch to turn on a light. 
There's a broken circuit, and in there is the wiring that then completes the circuit, and electri electricity or power can flow. In the same way, when we are living our lives with the flip of generosity turned off, we are limiting the power of working through us, let alone we're diminishing the light that needs to shine on the world around us. It's time for us to live breathing out, and when it comes to generosity, flipping the switch. Or else it's a blind barrier you cannot see that is only limiting your in Christ potential. So what does generosity look like when it comes to engaging with the world around us? This is my heart for us as a church. Why don't you write this down if you're taking notes? And if you're not taking notes, why don't you write this down? Come on, how many love just classic pastor jokes? We generously give encouragement because people are walking through more than you know. How many have ever had an encounter on the other side of that where you've just had a rough day? Things didn't go well at work. Things are not going well at home. You've got too much month and not enough money. And then someone just treated you cold, austere, or, or had a snide remark. And you just thought to yourself, man, if you just knew what I was walking through, you might be a little kinder to me. How many know that we have the opportunity, knowing or unknowingly, every single day to give what we wish we could get, to breathe out or flip the switch instead of having it off or holding it in for ourselves? We generously give encouragement because people are walking through more than you know. And as this heart, my heart for this church is that we would always be a house of help and hope for a hurting world. And people, I believe, are hurting and more aware of their hurt and heartache than ever before. The crisis of the last 18 months has brought to the surface so much heartache, so much hurt, so much fear and anxiety. If there's ever a time that people need encouragement, it's right here and right now. And this chaotic world that we live in is so quick to call people out for every mistake or every misstep, but we choose instead to call people up. Notice that Jesus doesn't show up on the scene in the stories, the gospel narratives, and call everybody out. No, he's calling them to follow. He's calling them to take another step. He's calling to encourage them that the kingdom of God is near, that God was up to something great. Whether they could see it yet or not, he was speaking about potential. He was speaking encouragement to them. It says in Proverbs 16, kind words are like honey. Anytime you go around encouraging people, you just give them some of that honey. No, don't give them all that honey. And it says it's sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Can we just be kind towards people? I mean, after all, are we not the ones who've experienced the most kind gift of all? The kindness of our God that brought us back to, to the relationship we didn't deserve. In the same way, there are people all around you in close proximity, in your own family, in your own home, in your own neighborhood, in your own workplace, in your own school, even on your commute, that you show kindness to. You can encourage them and watch and see God opens up no longer a blind barrier, but unseen potential to make a difference in the world around you. A, a university in Pennsylvania did a study um, performed on a treadmill, they, they had several people running to their maximum output. They got to control the speed for 12 minutes. And I'm like, the full 12 minutes? Uh, yeah, they, I don't do treadmill, by the way. Where am I going? What am I running to? Nowhere. So they had three groups in this study. One group, uh, they didn't say anything to. 
They just got to push themselves as far as they could go for 12 minutes. Second group, every three minutes or so, they would show up and say, hey, you're doing good. Keep going. The third group got constant encouragement, like cheerleaders around them, beckoning them to keep pushing, go farther, you can go faster. The, the scientists and, and studiers realized that group one and group two, no encouragement, a little bit of encouragement, infrequent encouragement, scored exactly the same. But the third group, as probably as annoying as it was that everyone was cheering them on, they went so much farther and faster because there's power in encouraging other people. It produces momentum even though it's unseen. Uh, it cheers people on and it turns them into champions. There's people in your life that right now, they might feel like a dud, but there's destiny inside of them. They might feel like their world is in chaos, but might just be one word of encouragement that pushes and propels them in to the champion that they're called to be. Because inside of every single person, no matter how far from God they might be, there's the potential in Christ to become everything God has desired them to be. I looked back over the last four Olympics, um, all the way to 2008. There was 25 world records set back then, then 32. And then 27 world records set in the summer games in Rio. And then just now in Japan, these last few weeks, there were 17 world records. It's a 43% drop. And I just happen to think it's because there were zero fans there. That there's something about, I mean, every world-class athlete like myself knows. There's something about being in a place where you're being cheered on that propels you further and faster. It, it pushes them into greatness. Colossians 4, verse 6 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned, seasoned with salt. How many know it just takes a little bit of salt to make something taste a whole lot better? In other words, people don't need some long sermon or discourse in theology. They need a little bit of encouragement. Let us always be gracious and just give that little extra flavor of encouragement. On November 19th, 1863, two men got up to speak. One was considered the best speaker orator in the world. The president of Harvard, he gave a two-hour speech. The next one was our president, Honest Abe Lincoln. He gave a two-minute Gettysburg Address. Two minutes to speak into a hurting nation, into a chaotic world. Two minutes to speak hope and that there's life on the other side of this battle that we've been in. And no one remembers the first speech. And everyone still quotes the two-minute speech. Because it's not about how much you say. It's about speaking hope and help to people that they will remember in times of help and struggle or in places of healing. People are walking around with such wounded spirits right now fractured, frustrated, fearful. You have something inside of you. A moment of encouragement can make all the difference in their life. Proverbs 12 verse 25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. I think there's unseen potential with just one word of encouragement. It might just break open a door of destiny and propel them into the greatness that God has for them. 
go, so can we just make a decision when it comes to generosity towards people? We are not going to let a word of life die in our mouth. If we got anything good to say to somebody, even if we got to hype it up a moment, why don't we just speak to their potential, not to the problem that they're in, and let's be people that are gracious with our encouragement towards the world around us. I think about when Peter was walking up to a time of worship, and Peter came across this man who was lame at the gate called Beautiful. And this guy, just, he just wanted some money. And Peter didn't have the opportunity to be generous that way in that moment. He says, hey, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have, what I've got, I'll give to you. In other words, I don't have everything you think you need, but I've got one thing that you might need that's even more important. Why don't you get up? Hey, why don't you get up from there? Why don't you you get healed in this moment? I notice that he just, he doesn't give a gift of resource. He gives a greater resource. What this man needed was just a word of encouragement to get out of his old and step into his new. And sure enough, he gets on up. And it says right before that, that Peter gave him his attention. He was attentive to the man, looking intently at him. Second thing we have to do, we generously give time. We give attention because it's the most valuable resource that we have. We are people that don't just write a check. We check in on people. We are people that don't just give a nice word every once in a while. We're there to walk with people. That's what generosity looks like. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them and always eager to practice hospitality. Hospitality to me is about giving time and attention. It's about the the little nuance. It's about the, the little thing that shows that you're adding value to them. It shows that you care. You know, the word hospitality doesn't mean to make people feel at home, like in your home. It literally means that you're making people feel like they're in their own home. That's what it means. This is what I love about our church. For the last 15 years or so, we put real big on the wall, welcome home that we create an atmosphere of engagement and attention and time and detail that people that are looking for hope in a hurting world realize there's a place where they can be at home, even with their baggage, even with their delinquencies, even with their issues. We just say, you are welcome here. We're going to give of our time and attention. Let me tell you some personal stories for a moment. Uh, Growing up, I I, I thought I was, was bad at math. And the grades would prove that, you know, it wasn't like it was just in my mind, it wasn't fake. I was failing. And I remember coming out of uh, international school. I lived with my parents on the missions field when I was a little kid. And I started a new school and there was a teacher there that she let me know I was behind in math. Her name, we'll just call her Mrs. S, which could be short for Satan or serpent, whatever you want to put in there. <laughs> I'm not going to say her name. She might still be alive. Pretty sure I won't see her in eternity. Anyways, just kidding. Gracious. She was just cold-hearted. She was quick on the draw with the red pen. And she just let me know I was behind. That was it. So from that, for several years, I just carried in this, my mindset that I just wasn't good at math. And then I had another teacher, Mr. Scott. And one day after school, I was getting a C minus in his class. He just sat down with me. Uh, He requested to spend time with me. And he says, Kyle, I think you're just missing a couple key components here. If you could, it was algebra one. He says, if you could learn how to do this formula and this equation 
And he taught it to me in a way I finally understood. And then, lo and behold, I realized I'm not just like not bad at math. I'm great at math. I went on to take trigonometry and calculus, and I got smart up in here because I had someone that gave me attention. I had someone that gave me a time. He didn't have to do that. He wasn't getting paid more. He wanted to pull out my potential. I remember there was a lieutenant in the Cal- California Highway Patrol. I was 22 years old, and his name was Dan. He was Lieutenant Dan. Um, it's from Forrest Gump for the Gen Z out there. That's Tom Hanks, Woody from Toy Story. Anyways, and he saw potential in me. And he took me and four other guys, and we, every Thursday night for two months, we did like a book study together. We did Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, and talk about the hurting people and how people, if they don't have any hope for their future, they just fall apart. It's a psychiatric look at the effects of the Holocaust. And then we did a leadership book on why the church is so important. And not only did he reveal to me how much people are walking through, but in my time with him, I saw that it is through the the local church that people meet Jesus. Therefore, it's the hope of the world. So if we want to do something about the problem, we got to build the church. And he didn't have to do that, but he wanted to do that. And he is unlocked in me. I am still living off some of those leadership lessons. Here we are nearly 20 years later. The kingdom leadership is a solution and people need our time. And we are servant leaders in this house. Our goal is not what we can gain. Yes, the friendships in this family of faith are very vital to your future, but we are not here for friends. We make friends as we're here to live out kingdom calling in this world that so needs it now more than ever. So we come with the goal to give, not what we can gain. And your serve is significant. In fact, if you've been a part of this church or joining us for maybe the first time in a while, I would highly encourage you, if you're not serving in one way, shape, or form, at least once a month, you need a place where you give your time. You'll come to find that it actually benefits you more than even the people that you're serving. Your serve is significant. And yes, we talk about how we are changing the world, and we are. But in the moment, it's not world-changing. In the moment, you are opening a door for a person. In that moment of serve, you are pouring a coffee for a person. Now, that will make their morning better, but that won't change their life. Some of you need a second cup of coffee right about now. You've got to serve more. Uh, you're checking kids in the Hillsong Kids. We're doing tasks that might not get celebrated, but they're significant because what we're actually doing when we give our time and attention all together, when we're generous in our time, we're creating an atmosphere where God can reach people, redeem people, and God can build people. And people built by God change the world. So in a way, you're connecting the dots of calling for world changers to rise up and radically change Kansas City and beyond. Deuteronomy 15, give generously and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything that you put your hand to. So you become the real benefactor in blessing in your life. In other words, it blesses everything else you touch when you learn how to walk in generosity. It amazes me there's several companies that have served right here at our House of Hope, taken a day off of work and showed up. And uh, I've only seen one or two of them that had anyone that went to our church. They just realized 
the companies do, the science behind it is those that even they take a day off work, their productivity does not go down when they learn how to serve. When they actually pour out for others, it positions the heart in a place where we can be better at what we do or what we build because science proves that those that pour out live their lives in overflow. The real benefactor in investing your time is you and you're the only one missing out. Thirdly, we generously give grace to people. Why? Because we've received it when we needed it the most. We generously give grace to those because we, we got it. We live in it. We woke up this morning to new fresh grace and mercy. Matthew chapter 5. In a word, Jesus says, what I'm saying is grow up. You don't like that. That's Jesus. Take it up with him. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. In other words, we're just mirroring back the grace that we so freely receive. We give grace. Why are, there, why are we as believers getting so offended with the world's sin issues? We, uh, let me say this. There is no room for you on the front lines of the culture war. That is not the battle that matters. What matters is people. And the way we reach people is not in judgment. It's in grace. Yes, James talks about, Romans talks about that when we have sin, it gives us a paycheck one day called death. But in this season that we're in, Jesus has gone to the cross, defeated sin and death, has raised from the grave. We are recipients of an amazing grace that has changed us. That is why we are here today. And if we want more people here receiving what we have received, and maybe even what we've taken for granted, we've got to shift our perspective and focus on not all the problems in this fallen world, but the solution, which is Christ in his cross, and that he's coming again. If you struggle with that, maybe you grew up in, in some legalism or condemnation, hey, read the writings of Paul. He says, hey, why do I care how they live? I'm living my life so they can know that there's a God that cares about them because it's the kindness of God that draws us to repentance. Romans chapter two, this is Paul. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted or despise him? Have you experienced how kind and understanding he has been to you? Don't mistake all his tolerance for acceptance. Do you realize that all wealth, all the wealth of his extravagant kindness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance. Repentance just means change. Changing direction back on course. And we will never argue or battle in the world of just the cancerous culture and cancel culture. We're never going to argue people into the kingdom. We are going to love, serve, be generous towards them, and keep proclaiming grace. And watch and see, God will melt down all of the issues. By the way, have we forgotten how bad we was back in the day? And sometimes still is? Apostle Paul realized, hey, I'm the chief of sinners. And yet he was the apostle to the nations. We all have these struggles. We all need grace. I believe the world we're living in right now is the season of God's favor and the acceptable year of the Lord. Is that not what Jesus' first sermon says? He gets up and declares to the prophet, it is God's favorable time for all people right here. 
That's what the angels declared about Jesus in Luke 2. Good news of great joy. This is for everyone. This is for all people. Uh, Not just Christian people. This is for humanity. Peace on earth, which isn't about an absence of war. It's about harmony with God. On whom his favor rests. We are living in the age of the outpouring of grace, not judgment. Yes, there is a day. When God will settle the score once and for all. And we want to make sure that as many people as possible have experienced and are recipients of that great grace that we maybe would take for granted. Let us be people that are generous with encouragement, generous with our time and attention to others, and generous in grace to the world around us. And we'll see revival will break out with the unseen potential of grace moving us forward to places we have never been as a church. You're lucky I'm almost out of time because now I'm going to get to your money. (laughs) Words, time, grace. We generously give of our resources because the kingdom advances through collective sacrifice. It's just a response to what we've been given. That we realize it's, it's God's plan for us to invest in his heartbeat for humanity which is displayed through the body of Christ, the local church. I'll just say this. The only people that normally have a problem with the messages on money are those that don't participate. Normally those that do would like to cheer in this moment because they've realized the unseen potential. What was once for all of us, because we're born stingy. We're born. Look at at my one-year-old. Mine. No. Try to take anything. That's just the way we're born. We're born again with the opportunity, whether we choose it or not, to be generous. Because God's generous to us. And so maybe this has been a blind barrier for you. I'm believing, not for our church, for you. This because a place of unseen potential. So you make progress unlike you ever, ever, ever have before. When the doctor checks you out on a checkup and pokes a place that hurts, it reveals there's a deeper issue there. And so if this part of this message hurts, there might be a deeper issue there. Good news, God is gracious and God is a healer. And he will maybe lead you or reveal to you an area where he wants to touch. Let me put this as simple as possible. Again, I'm out of time. You never, you're never giving to the church. You're giving to God through the church. And together we advance the mission of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 and 12. Your generosity not only provides for the needs of God's people, but also produces prayers of thanksgiving to God. What it's saying there, it's saying that not only does it create a place and a space for us to take care of each other, to build up each other, to take care of each other's even physical needs, financial needs in the house, but also those that are outsiders to this home or this house get to see what we're doing and they respond in connection or thankfulness or gratitude towards God. So the end goal of our generosity is the movement of Jesus, which is all about salvation and expansion of this redemptive work of God for all of humanity. Jesus says what you treasure, your heart is, is what you treasure. I'll just say this. Let me brag on y'all. We, through the shutdown and pandemic, have given away something equivalent of around four times more than we ever have in a given year given away to the world around us, given away to missions, invested in, and some of them, like we've not even celebrated half of the places of generosity, what we've done as a church. And that's not about me and my leadership. That's about us and our generosity. Can we just take a moment to celebrate that, that we've been unbelievably generous? 
We have done more outside the walls of the church during the pandemic and the months to follow than we ever have before. But my heart for you, maybe I'm just your preacher every couple of Sundays, but if I'm your pastor, my heart for you is this. No more blind barriers when it comes to generosity towards people, towards God. That you would realize what several hundred people that are faithful in our church have come to the, the maturity of that when we walk in generosity towards God, it brings unseen potential. It propels us forward. We give, why? Because we're all about people. And people are the greatest investment because they have eternity on the inside of them. That's the only thing we're taking with us into eternity is the people that we reach. How we reach them? Generous with encouragement. How do we love and serve them? Generous with our time. How do we reach them in the first place? How we're generous in grace. Not counting things against them, but encouraging them to keep following Jesus. And we're generous, financially generous to God's house. Why? So we can do it over and over and over again. Don't be like me. The other day I was cleaning out my desk and I found a gift card. I was stoked I found a gift card, $50 gift card. I was like, whoa, that's God's way of telling me I need to get off the stage. $50 gift card. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And I looked up and that restaurant's like permanently closed. It's what I get for being a hoarder. No, we store up treasures in heaven. I'll just say this. In my opinion, my viewpoint, the tithe is not a really generous move. It's an obedient move. But it's a great place to begin. But we should make the goal what the first church did, Acts chapter 4. The community of believers shared everything in common. Now, before you get mad, I'm not talking about communal living because I'm going to have my own house and you can have yours. And I'm not talking about communism. I'm talking about a contagious generosity. It's whatever the mission needs. The answer is we're living on the other side of yes. We're living on the other side of yes. I love this story. There was a young girl, teenager, whose family every single week would go through the line on the family Fridays to get food at the house of hope. And we don't just give something away. We speak words of encouragement. We pray for them. We give them time. We give them attention. We're practicing everything when I'm talking about generosity. We do it. We did it every Friday. Now we do it once a month. There's one coming up this Friday. And over time, not only did she keep showing up, but then their family started getting more for their neighbors. And then after that for a while, she actually showed up early because not only is she going to take groceries home, she's going to be part of giving them out. And now she's a part of our church family and the rest of her family is coming along for the journey because that's what generosity does. And that testimony, it's not about the house of hope. It's about our heart as a church caring about those that need hope. Matthew 10, 8, freely you have received, freely we give. Don't let this be a blind barrier another day tap into the unseen potential of generosity in your life. The Bible says that when we honor God, when we're generous towards God, it opens up a window of heaven. And I desperately desire with all of my heart for our church to live under the open heaven and for your house to live under the open heaven. 
that we would open up the doors by opening up our hearts to walk in generosity. Let's build people up. Let's invest and serve people. Let's be grace-filled and full to in our engagement with the world around us. And let's bring our best together so God can do what he's always wanted to do. Revival in Kansas City. Expansion of his kingdom. That's not about the big number. That's about the one, one by one. People coming alive to the Father's love and let him get all the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand your feet on the plaza up north? I want to pray for you. The truth is, every single one of us, even me, there are places where my flesh comes up against a blind barrier. But I'm making the decision. It's how I've lived my life and I want to continue my life. God has stretched me when it comes to generosity. So I don't come into any equation thinking about what can I get. But I'm always thinking about what can I impart and what can I give. I know the amount of people in this room, on the plaza, watching online. I know just there's people where this has been a blind barrier. I pray God begins to see you see it as it is and through the lens of grace that he never highlights something that he doesn't plan on healing and helping. That's my prayer for you. What used to be a barrier becomes a place of unseen potential. Can I pray for you? And then we'll worship. Father God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for what we've come through and where we are headed. I am praising you for the generosity that has always flowed in this house. For the last 11 years, we've had people that have been faithful to love others, to build others up, to serve and to give. And I thank you for this next season that we're about ready to walk into when the world needs it the most. This church is up to God's best. Lord, I thank you that barriers are coming down. Strongholds have to go. And you're opening up, not just open hearts, but an open heaven over all of us. Let generosity be a hallmark and a culture of this church here at Hillsong, Kansas City. And Lord, let us do more with what you've given us than ever before, all for your glory in Jesus' name. If you believe that, can I get an amen?